Welcome to No Compromise, where faith and reason fuse in conversation. Jenny and I continue our conversation on the good Hegel. All right, John. So I'm still feeling like you're telling us why Hegel is bad. (laughs) And this Christian atheist episode that we're discussing is called Hegel the Good. Right. So now in this section, the next section, section three, you actually finally turn your attention to what's right about Hegel. Okay. (laughs) This is the part of the episode where you finally get to those points. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I actually... It, it is kind of funny now that I look at it. It's like I'm halfway through the episode before I even begins to address right. what's good about Hegel. Right. Okay. So before we break down what's right about Hegel, you say in this section that Hegel's logic is brilliant. It's a brilliant way to what process, mm-hmm. process to think and about the world. Our world. Yeah. I mean, think about that example that we gave earlier mm-hmm. about me as a two year old and me as a fifty six year old. Yeah. It talks about permanence through change which is something that we human beings deal with all the time. Right. I mean, as a kid, I grew up in a world that seemed stable. And yet when I look back on it now, everything that was stable then has changed. Right. And it seems as though change is the only permanent, right? That's something we've heard before in our culture. Yeah. And that is a very Hegelian point. Yeah. We human beings deal with change constantly. And the concept of God, right? One of the concepts of God in the Bible is that he changes not. Right. So when God claims being, it is an ideal being, a being that does not change. And therefore, the logic of Hegel gives us a way to look around at the world and understand this narrative change in which we live. The Shadowlands, as C.S. Lewis called them. This world of change in which everything is mixed up and nothing is quite what it is. I mean, nothing is what it is and not another thing. Mm -hmm. Everything does seem to blend into everything else in this world. But the ideal that is God is the unchanging. And this is sort of like the platonic realm of forms too, for philosophy people, (laughs) the unchanging realities. And that's the world of the logic of Aristotle, but it's not the world of the narrative logic of Hegel. Okay. Okay. But nevertheless, that logic helps us understand the world in which we live very powerfully and very beautifully Mm -hmm. at times, I think. Can you give us an example of what you mean Yeah, actually, we've already talked about the example. When I talked about when I was a two-year-old and you would have met me and then flash forward to now when I'm 56 and you look at me and say, what is the relation between these two things? And the traditional answer would have been that there is some sort of transcendent notion of a person. And that's, that's the sort of realist view. Mm-hmm. that a human being is something that persists through time. Despite all of the changes outwardly, Hegel would deny that mm-hmm. and say, no, what makes a human being a human being? What gives him his individuality, his unity, his mm-hmm. identity mm-hmm. is the story we can tell about him. Right. So there is no identity between the two-year-old and the 56-year-old, except the fact that you can tell a story that unites that two-year-old going through each and every year of my life 
that brings me to this moment. Now, that is intrinsically, I think, a a beautiful way to talk about Mm -hmm. the nature of change. Mm -hmm. And I think Hegel is on to something incredibly important here, and he he does it. To to be fair, Hegel does it better than any philosopher in the Western canon. He develops this logic incredibly well, and I find it to be a very powerful tool when properly used. In fact, I used it in our episodes on atheism to try to develop a sort of a logical definition of atheism that might be acceptable to atheists and Christians. And I, I like to say that Hegel's logic is extremely useful to talk about the shadowlands in which we live. Yeah. Because our world doesn't neatly fall apart into neat packets. Yeah. Things do blend into one another. It's not light and dark. It's all sorts of shades all around us. Right. And Hegel's philosophy of imminence, his narrative logic, is, I think, one of the best tools to describe the world in which we actually live. But it doesn't obviate, it doesn't take away the need for Aristotle's logic, which makes those clear lines and definitions. And and so what I claim is that Hegel's logic should be secondary to the more transcendent logic of Aristotle. Okay. And this is the reason I find it so important and why I spent so much time in the beginning of this episode laying out the reality of Hegel's logic. Mm -hmm. In order to understand why it's good and why it's bad, you have to understand it itself first. And that is a monumental task that I find almost impossible to complete because it's like that onion. Mm-hmm. And I keep trying to want to give you more of the onion than I can at this point. Yeah, yeah. All right. So let's get to it, John. To you provided three reasons that Hegel is good. Yes. And those are one, Hegel was profoundly conservative. Two, Hegel had a vision of a central value. Mm-hmm. And three, Hegel was able to see how his own philosophy could go wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. So let's start with reason one. How was Hegel conservative? In his philosophical practice, uh-huh. in contrast to the Hegelians that come after actu- the actual historical character of Georg Wilhelm Friedrich Hegel, uh-huh. Hegel was not a radical. Hegel looked at the world around him and said, This is the embodiment of rationality. And so the world that he found around him really was analogous to the Christian view that God created a good world. And that goodness is presented in each and every aspect of the world around us, including law and tradition and the structures of our society as they've been given to us and have developed over and through time. Right. And so Hegel valued those things. And that makes him profoundly conservative. And I would say even more conservative than myself. Okay. Which isn't true of most of Hegel's followers. Okay. Right. They became increasingly radical. Right. Okay. So to sum up this first reason, you would say that Hegel had a profound respect of reality. Yes. Basically. Okay. And you quote his own words on this. Right. In the episode, you quote Hegel's own words. Yes. From the philosophy of right, Mm -hmm. Hegel said this, knowledge must therefore examine, apprehend, 
and conceive the reason actually present in nature. And this is that conservatism, right? Mm -hmm. He's not trying to tell us how things should be. He's describing how things are. Right. And he's embracing them. Right. Saying it's good. Not with the superficial shapes and accidents of nature, but with its eternal harmony. That is to say, its inherent law and essence knowledge has to cope. Mm -hmm. And the ethical world or the state is, in fact, reason potently and permanently actualized in consciousness. So Hegel is embracing the social structures that he finds in reality Mm -hmm. and saying reason is instantiated here. And that is, even if, as I claim later, he abandons transcendence, he is holding on to the transcendent structures that have held Western society together mm-hmm. throughout its history. Mm-hmm. And what we would claim as Christians are God's law. Right. So he adopted a perspective of God. Right. And viewed himself as limited. Uh, uh, a yeah. limited being, right? Right. And, and I call that a sort of Hegelian humility I was gonna that say, yeah. becomes lost right. in many of his followers. Right. So that leads us to the next reason that Hegel was right, and that is that he had a vision of a central value. Or in other words, he held on to something important, which allowed society to continue, right? Right. And yeah, and that's you... even been foreshadowed in what we've just yep, said. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> so it's, going to be, it's almost like we're repeating what we already said. Right, but there's more to say. Uh-huh. So, so we're, we're at another level of the onion here. Mm-hmm. So Hegel, in being profoundly conservative, yeah. is also embracing a notion of value, right? right. A highest good. Now, it may not be God as we conceive him, right. which is for the Christians the highest good, a central value. But he is still holding on to the notion that there is a highest good, a value from which everything else flows. Now, that value for Hegel is imminent. Uh-huh. That is, it is, it is mind itself unfolding in the world around us. But it is, a, it is functioning as a highest good a central value. And that implies that there is a value hierarchy underneath it, an actual structure to which we must be subject. And again, that's that conservatism. And it's not radical. And Hegel's philosophy will devolve, especially, and we can see it around us today in the woke madness that Mm -hmm. we're currently living on, into a sort of radical relativism. Mm-hmm. But that was not Hegel himself. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he did, you know, to 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 give the devil his due, or to to accuse the devil fairly. Yeah, he's the one that set it in motion. Yeah, yeah. He was kind of like a Sam Harris, where he abandons the abandons the transcendent or God, and conservatively keeps all the good things about God, like loving your neighbor. And, exactly. You know. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Exactly right. That is perfect. Okay. So you quote Hegel on his embracing conservative vision for the highest good. Okay. So even though Hegelianism leads to a radical relativism, Mm -hmm. Hegel himself was functionally an absolutist, an objectivist, a believer in truth with a capital T, the right, the good, truth itself. Um, and, And this, as I said, okay, so to support this, then in the episode, yeah. I turned to an extensive quote from Hegel. And I don't know that it's that we should read the whole thing, but let me sort of plunge into this. Yeah. 
and make a few points. Yeah, maybe you can explain it along the way yeah. so that, you know, if we can understand what you're saying. And while we read this, I would like everyone to note the embrace of contradiction and of hypocrisy that Hegel is talking about here. Yeah. He himself seemed to want to hold on to some of the basic notions of logic that are abandoned in his followers. Yeah. So he is here talking about what could possibly come of his philosophical viewpoint. Okay. The particular kind of evil consciousness developed by the wishy-washy eloquence already alluded to may be detected in the following way. So Hegel is telling us here that if his philosophy goes bad, it's going to look like this, and we can detect it in this way. It is, he says, most unspiritual when it speaks most of the spirit. You know, this is like New Age philosophy. Yeah. It, it, it pretends to be extremely spiritual, and yet it is the absolute undermining of spirituality. Yeah, that's good. Sending out good vibes. Yeah, yeah. You know, instead of praying. Right. It has like a... The form of godliness, but, but denying denies the, the power. power. Right. Yeah. Okay. It is the most dead and leathern when it talks of the scope of life. And think about here, mm -hmm. our current culture of abortion mm -hmm. and uh, uh, of euthanasia, right? We're fine with killing old people. We're fine with killing babies. Right. But we're all about life. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Returning to him, when it is exhibiting the greatest self-seeking and vanity, it has most on its tongue the words people and nation. Yeah. And forgive me for going political. I keep hearing <laughs> politicians talking about how we're losing democracy right now, while they're the ones who are engaging in fascistic silencing of those who speak out against them or who dare to dissent. Right from their orthodox views. So we see here that Hegel is referring immediately to our age. Yeah. He saw how he things could, could go badly, yeah, and, and we're there. Mm -hmm. But it's peculiar mark, Hegel says, found on its very forehead is its hatred of law. Mm -hmm. Now, we should remember here Deuteronomy 6 that talks about binding the law of God on our forehead and on our arms. So he's referring to that here, mm -hmm. and he's saying most clearly, the thing that's going to define this false philosophy is its hatred of law. Yeah. And if we're not seeing that today, I don't know when yeah. it's ever been in existence in history, because we feel this a freedom to ignore not just law, not just legal sanctions, mm -hmm. but all of tradition in favor of our own emotional wants, desires, and needs. Right. So this is the thing he said you'll, you'll mark it by most clearly. Moving on real quick. That's okay. Right and ethical principle, the actual world of right and ethical life. And here he's showing his conservatism. By thought are given definite, general, and rational form. And this reasoned right finds its expression in law. Mm -hmm. But feeling... Now, here we transition into the critique, which seeks its own pleasure and conscience, which finds right in private conviction, regard the law as their most bitter foe. 
And we can read for law here, tradition, mm -hmm. because the left hates tradition. Right. The right, which takes the shape of law and duty, is by feeling looked upon as a shackle or cold, dead letter. And I've had conversations with those on the opposite side who refer to it exactly yeah. as that. Yeah. Oh, but the Constitution is a living document. Mm -hmm. It needs to change as things go forward. Yeah. In this law, feeling does not recognize itself and does not find itself free. Yet, Hegel says, the law is the reason of the object and refuses to feeling the privilege of warming itself at its private hearth. Hence the law, as we shall occasionally observe, is the shibboleth, by means of which are detected the false brethren and friends of the so-called people. No gentle Jesus meek and mild here. The law is harsh and often unyielding constraining, and unkind. Right. In other words, it is evil incarnate. So mm -hmm. their contempt for law, yeah. for tradition, for ethics and virtue, yeah. when it isn't nice, yeah. <laughs> marks them out for the enemies of spirit right. for Hegel. I see. And so we see where Isaiah got the notion that say, evil can oh. become good. Woe to and those, good evil. Right. Woe to them who call it good evil and evil good. Right. Yep. Okay. So, uh, sorry. That, I know that was a long paragraph. Well, you explained but, it really well. You did. You did a really good job explaining it along the way. So, to sum up this section two about Hegel having a central value, it builds on the first in that Hegel is conservative and not radical. Yep. And that that radicalism is what becomes the problem. But the interesting thing here is where we're going to move on now is the third reason that Hegel was able to see how his own philosophy could go profoundly wrong, which is you what already, we just talked about. You already started. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you quote Hegel here in the episode, and maybe you can read that quote and break it down for us to understand. Okay. okay? And oh, as I remember, I think it's important for everyone to just really pay attention you know, to what you're quoting because of the hypocrisy and contradiction, which you pointed out already, but, you know, it's important for everybody to see that right now. So once again, picking up with Hegel's words uh -huh. from the philosophy of right. Yeah. In point of fact, the pretentious utterances of recent philosophy regarding the state have been enough to justify anyone who cared to meddle with the question in the conviction that he could prove himself a philosopher by weaving a philosophy out of his own brain. Right. So this is exactly what we've been doing in the 20th century mm -hmm. with postmodernism and with this renewed empirical idealism, which is how Kant would have characterized Hegel's philosophy. Uh -huh. The idea that we can shape reality with our minds. Mm -hmm. And this is something that was endemic to Marx who was the most, the most radical least, yeah. of immediate successors of yeah. Hegel. Yeah. He believed that we, in throwing God away, now we became responsible yeah. to create a brand new world. Right. And that we had the power to do it. But, says Hegel, notwithstanding this conviction, that which passes for philosophy has openly announced that truth cannot be known. So this is that radical relativism. The truth with regards to ethical ideals, the state, the government, and the constitution ascends, 
So it declares out of each man's heart, feeling and enthusiasm. Yeah. <laughs> and there we are. Yep. That's where this we are. is at the end of the 21st century and traveling into the 21st century. Mm -hmm. We have become a subjective and relativist society right. that has embraced the worst of Hegelianism right. that has been bequeathed to us through the 20th century's philosophy and, in particular, the Marxist tradition, right. which has hidden itself so well mm -hmm. and so seductively in our culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, so right there you see that. He was able to see how his philosophy could go wrong. Yes. So, okay. So that was the third reason. That's it. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we move into the last section of your episode, which is pretty much closing remarks. And we can, you know, we can summarize okay. um, Hegel the good in four statements. One, he was brilliant. Yes. <laughs> and I think Hegel's brilliance is undisputed. Yep. Hegel is incredibly difficult to read. Mm -hmm. And as a result, many people who have attempted to read him have said, oh, this is just gobbledygook. The guy was an idiot. Yeah. yeah. But that's because they haven't taken the time to really read Hegel. Yeah. There is nothing in Hegel that is gobbledygook. Mm -hmm. It is all intelligent, logical, and driven by the process of a brilliant mind. And so I have nothing but respect, intellectual respect, for Hegel as a philosopher. Okay. Uh, the second statement is he created a way of thinking of the world that is useful, powerful, beautiful, when limited. Yes. And, and the limitation is the important part. There. I was going to ask you to give an example of what, what does that mean? Like, can you give us a, a way that we can understand? Yes. So the idea is that, as we said a little earlier in the episode, when Hegel collapses metaphysics into epistemology, makes everything into mind, mind ceases to be limited by anything. Mm -hmm. And that's not the world in which we live. As Lewis said, we cannot live a metaphysics like that. Our minds are limited minds. And Kant made the point that human reason, human rationality, is fundamentally limited. This is what Hegel was striking out against. Yeah. But it is limited. And that means that we are subject to the constraints of God's world. And I used Hegel's narrative logic yeah. to try to explain something that I've encountered as the Christian atheist mm -hmm. in talking with atheists. Okay. Because no matter how I tried to define atheism, they refused to accept my definition and jumped to a new definition that avoided any problems I could raise about it, right? Yeah. And so what I wanted to do is say, wait a second, I can accept all of those definitions that you give me. Yeah. And then we can begin to reasonably talk about all of those definitions on a spectrum mm -hmm. and understand that there are these two divisions, atheism and theism, and both of them are indeed rational positions. Yeah. But here are the reasons I think the theism is better. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I, I try to use this idea of our living in a world in which there are a vast variety of shadows and differences yeah. between black and white, and that we need to be able to talk about them on that continuum. Right. And make sense on that continuum because that's the world we live in, the shadow lands. And therefore, Hegel's logic I find to be incredibly useful for talking about the world in which we actually live. 
and making sense of it and maybe communicating with others on its basis. But it must be limited. And I think the best limitation for Hegel's logic is Aristotelian logic, Mm -hmm. the traditional logic of the Western world. And I think that when we throw that away, we lose everything that goes with it, including science and reason and philosophy and real rational thinking and connection. Mm -hmm. And this is maybe the most important point. Connection to the world around us, real grounding, which is what you provide me. Right? I'm this sort of floating intellect and you anchor me to the ground, to the earth, to reality. You're a floating intellect balloon. Yes. <laughs> and you've got the string. <laughs> I have to keep pulling you down. Yes. No, you pull me down. You keep me anchored, that's which is what, good. Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. When you said about the spectrum, it reminded yes. me in photography of the tonal scale. Oh, yeah. It's all the way it goes from white to black and everything in between. Right. Yeah. And that's fascinating. Yeah. These are from white to black, but everything in the middle is gray. And there's it's like an infinite gradation. Isn't yeah, it's, yeah. An, it's a gradation, right? Yeah. Okay, so the third statement is he gave us a way to allow us to prosper, move forward in productive ways while still holding on to the structures of the Western world. Yes. I mean, Hegel himself mm-hmm. did it. The problem was that by casting off the anchor of the transcendent reality, Hegel set us adrift. Mm -hmm. And the natural logic of that drift has taken us down this road. And what we need to do, and and this is, again, one of the reasons I feel it's so important to discuss Hegel Uh and get clear about him, is the only way back is to somehow get anchored again Mm -hmm. in that transcendent reality. Yep. And I think the best way to do that is to understand how we became untethered. Right, right. The last statement is he was smart enough to see where the logic of the position would take us if we take it in the wrong ways. Right. Mm -hmm. And we've just spent the whole time covering that. Yes. That just summarizes the entire episode. Right. And four statements. Okay. I really like how you brought it down and brought it back into our world. Where we can we can see it right now. Yeah. Well, we struggled with this one. Didn't yeah, we? you did a really you did a really good job. <laughs> yep. We had to we had to back up and retool, yeah. and I had to think again. And Jenny made it clear to me that I wasn't understanding things as clearly as I probably should, yeah. because if you can't teach things in simple terms, yeah. you're probably not understanding it as well as you think you do. Yes, that's fantastic. You did a very a very good job. Yep. Thank you for all of of your hard work on this episode. Okay, so that concludes our discussion on the Christian Atheist episode number 36, Hegel the Good. So hopefully we were able to make that a little more understandable and help the audience. Yeah, it certainly helped me make it more understandable to myself. Yeah, and hopefully it helped the audience to begin to see the importance of Hegel in our world today and why you talk about him all the time. Yes. Stay tuned. <laughs> There's a lot more to come. Yep. Yep. All right, Johnny. So we've completed Hegel the Good, and now we're going to move on to our next two discussions, which will be Hegel the Bad and then Hegel the Ugly. Yep. So, Johnny, come to think of it, you say that Hegel is both good and bad at the same time. Mm-hmm. Right? So isn't that Hegelian? <laughs> yes, aren't it is. You, aren't you being Hegelian? Uh, yes. And <laughs> and when people accuse me of mm-hmm. just being a critic of Hegel, I can say, oh, I'm a critic of Hegel, but I'm also a fan of Hegel. That's for sure, because the kids the kids make you sweatshirts. Yes. I have a I have a Hegel sweatshirt that I wear all the time. Yes. It was made by the handmade by the kids for what? It was like Christmas. It was Christmas of last year, I think. <laughs> 
Okay, so thank you for taking time to join us here and be sure to join us in our next episode. And if you're listening on YouTube, it would be great if you took a moment to subscribe. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're, be... we're, we're hoping to get to a thousand subscribers. As soon as uh, possible. As soon as possible. Yes. <laughs> and we're, the, we're a third of the way there. <laughs> okay. And no matter how you're listening, feel free to leave a comment, any questions, or even if you want to give us some topic ideas for future episodes as we head into the new year. And lastly, if you want to buy us a cup of coffee, there's a link in our description to do that. And thanks again for giving us your time and hope you all have a, a wonderful week ahead. I am a Christian with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening and remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.